rejected. We're in a series of messages that's titled Rebuild. Rebuild. And it's a study, a journey, uh, you know, a, a walk through, whatever you want to call it, from the book of Nehemiah. And so far, we've, we've learned a few things about rebuilding. The first is finding your place in the story. All of us have a unique place in the story of any rebuild. And as it relates to our church, to our family, to our, indiv- to our individual lives, finding the place in our story. Also, we need to dedicate ourselves to continual prayer. One of the things that you learn about Nehemiah as you read and study this book is that he was a man of prayer. I think there are nine different, really, occasions of focused prayer during the book of Nehemiah. And it's just, it's something that all of us should strive to become our people of prayer. And then also last week, we talked about we need to be prepared for God ordained opportunities. Opportunities are going to come our way. And how are we preparing ourselves for those opportunities? Well, today, today, we're going to talk about starting strong, starting strong, and ending well. Starting strong and ending well. The first day of college, dropping the puck at an NHL game. Day one of a brand new job, the alarm clock going off at 5 a.m. What each one of these very random things have in common is, you ready? They're the start of something, the start of something. And honestly, we kind of know this, you can't do anything at all until you start. You got to take the first step. You got to make that first move. You've got to do something You've got to start. It's just the way it is. And honestly, there are good starts, bad starts, (laughs) strong starts, and weak starts. But you've got to start to accomplish any and all things. Found a a great quote from Pablo Picasso, Spanish painter. Here's what he said. He said, only put off until tomorrow, what you're willing to die left undone. Okay, one more time. Only put off until tomorrow what you are willing to die having left undone. You know, that's a, that's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek comment, but honestly, you've got to start. We've got to start. And, but not only do we have to start, we have to go beyond the start. Now, last weekend, last weekend, we were... We were um, privileged, I guess you could say, or confronted with, however you want to look at it, what was called Super, Super Wild Card Weekend. Okay, now that was different. For, for, for This is the NFL, and if you, if you have no desire in the NFL, you're not an NFL fan, I, I, okay, good, but just indulge me for a minute. Super Wild Card Weekend, we had six games last weekend. Well, that doesn't seem like a lot because there are a lot, but we were all privileged, privy to six games. So we had three on Saturday, three on Sunday. Now, one of those, there were some good ones, there were some not so good ones, but one of those games is really interesting, and that was between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns. Now, if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I want to tell you something didn't end well for you, okay? I just, I'll just tell you right now, and I know you're disappointed. If you're a Cleveland fan, it was great. It was great, especially with Cleveland's history. But here's, here's the way I want you to look at this. Cleveland got off to an extraordinary start. Within the first quarter, they had 28 points. Pittsburgh, nothing. It was 28 to nothing after the first 15 minutes. I want to tell you something. Cleveland started strong. 
And I kept thinking to myself, okay, are they going to blow this thing? And they're going to have the biggest comeback in NFL history and Pittsburgh going to win. That kept going through my mind. So think of it this way. Starting strong is good, but it can't stop there. And with football, pretty much the same. So here's what happened. So every time the Steelers would make a threat, every time they would get a little bit closer, Cleveland's defense would tighten, and then something would happen, and then Cleveland would score again. So even if Pittsburgh scored, there seemed to be a response to that. So here's what happened. They started strong, and then when adversity and challenge and all of the things happened, they steadied themselves. But that's good. So they started strong, they steadied themselves, but there's still more. There's still more. Not only did they start strong, remain steady, but they ended well, and they eventually won the game 48-37. And it sounds like, well, that was really close. That really wasn't that close. The point being, listen to this carefully. They started strong, they started strong, they stayed steady, and it ended well. I believe that this same pattern we can see in Nehemiah's leadership. He started strong, but he ended well, and in the middle of that, he steadied himself. He steadied himself. And I think as well, it's a great pattern for us to consider. So I want you to look with me, if you would, to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to read through the end of this chapter, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. Look at it with me. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I sent out the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up through the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as, as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sinbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us, encourage us, and strengthen us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about starting strong and ending well, and in the middle of that, staying steady. So, in order to start strong, to stay steady, to end well, hear, hear this. We need to strive to be well, physically well, and spiritually whole. Strive to be physically well and spiritually whole. Think about this for a moment. After four months of planning and pr prayer and planning, 
and then the preparation, Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. It could have taken him as much as four months to make the 900-mile trip. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. 900 miles for us today, when you fly, it's just a couple of hours. When you drive, it's, you know, a day and a half of maybe, a, maybe even push a hard day. You can get there in a day. In a day. Well, not so much in 445, 444 B.C., not so much, four months. Some, some said that it would take, he could travel approximately nine to ten miles a day. So you can do the math. It's a long trip. That's a very long trip. And what might have been the outcome of that trip? I think Nehemiah was tired. I think the fatigue, I think it would have been an incredibly taxing journey. And here's what I want to just have you keep in mind. When Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, I think he's facing a couple of different things. The first thing I think he's facing is the fact that he had an overwhelming task ahead of him. The circumference of Jerusalem was about one and a half to two and a half miles. So it was a big place. The wall, we've read, the walls were broken down. They were made of large stones. Some of those stones, when the Babylonians destroyed it, they would roll down into the valley. So they had to be with some kind of equipment, some kind of moving apparatus. They had to move those stones back into place. They had to be reassembled and all of the things that go into that construction process, which I don't know much about, but the point being is that had been hard work. That's an overwhelming task. You walk through very, you can only imagine what he is seeing. In fact, when you look at a little bit further in the story, Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 10 is what we read, there was so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. That's what the people said. So you can imagine, that's an overwhelming task. The second thing I think he had to deal with was that he had to overcome failure. And you say, well, what kind of failure, Gary, would he have to overcome? Well, remember the people, and Nehemiah has said it numerous times, that they were living in trouble and disgrace. For 140 years, the walls have been broken. They've been broken down. The gates have been burned. It's a mess. Not only that, if you, if you go back, you learn that when the decree was issued earlier to go back and rebuild the temple. It took them 20 years to rebuild the temple. So they've been living in these just incredible conditions for well over 100 years. You can imagine the discouragement that could be there in the lives of the folks. That's what Nehemiah is facing. And when you're facing something as challenging as Nehemiah is facing, you need to be ready and prepared. And I think you need to be physical, physically well and spiritually whole in order to face this kind of a rebuilding project. But it's not just about a rebuild of the walls. It's also about the rebuild of our lives, of family, relationships, and so many different things. Nehemiah is going to need his A game, as it were, in order to lead these people in this extraordinary project. There was a time many years ago now, it's hard to believe it's been as many years as I'm thinking, even as I speak this now, where my schedule was just out of control. It was just out of control. My to-do list was beyond anything that I could really ever manage, I think, and probably ever complete. And along with everything I had, there were family things that we were dealing with. Uh, at that particular time, I was in graduate school still. There were things, just so many things happening. I think I was just completing my graduate education, and it was just 
I was just tired. And add to that, I was facing some very life-changing decisions. And I would say it this way. I think in some respects, the fatigue got the better of me. And when we are tired, something happens. We don't make the best of decisions. I just don't think, I just think that's true. Not only do we not make the best of decisions, we're also, we're physically drained, but we're also not as aware spiritually at that moment. Our spiritual insight is diminished. Nehemiah, after understands that, what does he do when he arrives in Jerusalem? He takes three days off. That's what he does. He takes time to get rested and refreshed. That is absolutely powerful. When he has this monumental task that he is facing, first thing he does is rest, is rest. So what I want to do for just a second is I want to give you just four thoughts on how some process, how how might we, when we're in a place where we're facing challenges ahead, whatever that might be, whatever that rebuild looks like in your own life or experience, what are some things that we can do that will help us remain physically well and spiritually whole? The first one is this, we need to open up our heart. We need to open up our heart. We need to open up our heart to change. Sometimes we look at it and say, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. If I just do this with greater energy, it's going to be better. I'm going to make it all work. But I would suggest, unless we're willing to change, anything we might try will be less than effective. Because we rely on what was rather than being willing to look at what could be. Paul said something to the Ephesians when he was challenging them to live as true followers of Christ. Here's what he said in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, give up your old way of life and all its bad habits. Let the spirits change the way of your thinking, your way of thinking, and make you into a new person. The first thing, we've got to be open, have an open heart to change. The second thing we need to do is to lessen your schedule. Lessen your schedule. What are you doing right now that you don't need to be doing? Think about that for a minute. What are you doing right now that you don't need to be doing? Every one of us should develop a not-to-do list and start crossing things off and start tightening our schedule. Start doing some things that lessen the demands. Why? Because we can become overwhelmed and it just buries us to where we're ineffective on doing what is most important. Most important. You see, what are your priorities? Are you, are you finding time to rest? I, I know, I know I'm talking to some of you out there that aren't resting. I'm not talking about sleeping. I'm talking about resting. I'm talking about setting some things aside, like being, allowing yourself to recreate, not recreate however you want to say it. I say recreate. Listen to what Jesus did in Mark chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all, all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. You see, this is not just a 21st century issue. And we have to take time to rest. 
Lessen your schedule. The, the third thing is that sharpen your skills. Sharpen your skills. I love this verse, Ecclesiastes 10. Remember, the duller the axe, the harder the work. Use your head, the more brains, the less muscle. I, I love that. I love that. And the analogy is great. If you have a dull axe and you're trying to cut down a tree and you have to hit it harder and harder and harder because you, it's, not, it's not sharp, but sharpen that axe, what happens? The tree comes down much more easily. You see, if we could take time to sharpen my skills, man, I'm telling you, we would put this adage to work. Don't work harder but work smarter. Don't work harder, work smarter. That is such a powerful, powerful truth. <clears throat> what skills might I be talking about? Well, maybe it's just your time with God, whether in prayer and scripture, sharpening ourselves. What about learning something new? I don't know what that might be, but if it, if it assists you, this can even be rest and, and ways to be you know, at rest and recreate within our spirits and souls. When our skills are sharpened, we are more effective and less drained. When our skills are sharpened, we're more effective and less drained. And then lastly, deepen your reserves. Deepen your reserves. What do I mean by that? It's interesting that we read in Scripture about taking a Sabbath. You know, six days work one day rest. And in that rest, something happens. There's worship and there's rest, but it deepens our reserves. It builds us. That's why scripture and prayer and worship are so important because it deepens our reserves. When we are simply push, 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 drive, 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 something's going to happen. Eventually, we are going to deplete the reserves of our life. And until we say, no, I've got to stop. I've got to lessen my schedule. I've got to open up my heart. I've got to sharpen my skills so that my reserves can be replenished so I can do what God has called me to do. That's what Nehemiah did. He refreshed himself so he could go about the task that God had called him to do, even though it was overwhelming and he was overcoming discouragement of the people. No matter what you're facing, these truths will assist you. Psalm 87 verse 7 says, Every fountain of delight springs up from your life within me. The strength of God springs up from inside of us, but we've got to deepen our reserves. Our reserves cannot get depleted when they do. We're not at our best, spirit, physically or spiritually. So one more time, just remember to start strong, stay steady, and end well. Strive to be physically well and spiritually whole. The second thought is that to start strong, stay steady, and end well, Assess the needs and prepare for the task ahead. Assess the needs and prepare for the task ahead. When Marcy and I were first married, we were, I was finishing up my senior year in college, and we lived in a, in a beautiful little house in Santa Cruz. And we were really, the, the house was kind of the envy of all of our friends. While they were living in apartments or mobile homes, we had this three-bedroom, two-bath house in, house in Santa Cruz, and we paid virtually nothing for it. Uh, because the owner of the house was giving it to college students who were preparing for ministry at a reduced rate. And we just happened to be the, the fortunate couple that was able to rent the house. Well, what ended up happening over a course of a few months, the backyard got away from me. It became, <laughs> it became a jungle. I was never back there. 
And for some reason, it was just something left unattended. Well, all, all that to say, the owner came by one day and took a look, and she was not a happy camper, okay? Now, and so with that being said, I had to get to work. Well, the first thing I, we had to do was assess the problem. I had to stand there and take a look at this overwhelming mess that I had let happen. Well, and honestly, I looked at him going, I don't know how I'm going to get this done. I didn't have the kind of yard tools that I, I probably really needed. And, but, you know, I said, well, whatever. So I jumped, I jumped into it, and we got it done. We got it done. The important part of this to hear is that we assessed and we prepared, and then we got busy. We assessed, we prepared, and we got busy. It's exactly what Nehemiah did. When he's, he's going around the walls, he's seeing what's there. And remember, he's been planning and praying, and all of this is in place. He's got all of these resources behind us with the king from, uh, that the king has made available to him. He's been doing all of that. And it's important to understand as we face the days, the months ahead of 2021, we do face a lot of challenges as a congregation. We have a lot of rebuilding to do as a church. But if we're honest, if we're honest, we, we all in our own lives have a lot of rebuilding to do. That's not just a one-time thing. For me individually, there are always opportunities for me to rebuild something that maybe has crumbled or the, the grout, as it were, has kind of eroded. We, we all have that. I read an article this past week that, that I just adapted for this moment. And there's a few things that I just, two things actually I want to leave with you. The first one is this. When we look and plan for the, the tasks ahead, as we're assessing them, understand this. There is uncertainty and instability in the times in which we live. None of us would deny that. We are living in uncertain and unstable days. We don't know all that's happening, but at the same time, we have to assess what's here, and we have to prepare. And I would just ask you, what are we doing, what are you doing, to be aware and to prepare in the midst of uncertainty and instability? Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that any of us become doomsday preppers, okay? That's, that's the farthest thing from my mind. However, listen to what the Scripture says in Mark 13. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. And he, this is Jesus speaking of kind of the end of the age. Look at this. Not even the angels of, in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Look at this. And since you don't know when the time will come, be on your guard and stay alert. Now, that's as clear as it can possibly be. We're not to stick our head in the sand. We're to be aware, be on guard, and be alert. Listen to what Paul would write to Timothy. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. 
They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Do you see any similarities here to the unstable and uncertain times in which we live? Absolutely. But we have to be aware of this, and we have to prepare. And certainly the most important side of preparation is our spiritual preparation before God. Are we ready? Are we ready to meet God? Are you ready to meet God? It's just, it's so basic, but it's so important. We live in uncertain times. But not only do we live in uncertainty, with uncertainty and instability, listen to this, there's economic volatility and also abundant opportunity. The economic impact of the last 12 months is dramatic. No one will deny that. The amount of businesses, business closures, and, and then we have the stimulus checks, the rising debt in the U.S., and add to it a new administration in Washington, D.C. Volatile simply might be too soft of a descriptor. But when we assess and prepare opportunities, will arise individually and within the church. We're going to see things differently when we assess and we prepare. Nehemiah was facing an overwhelming task. He was facing discouraging conditions amongst the people. But there was an opportunity here. He saw it because he was assessing. He was preparing. And as we assess and prepare, I want to tell you, we can be, as a people within our family, within our communities, within our church, we can be the blessing that God has called us to be. When Nehemiah is looking at the walls, he knew that once they were rebuilt, they would no longer be in trouble or disgrace. And you see, even though there are volatile times economically, there are opportunities on every corner. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says, Don't save treasures for yourselves here on earth. Moths and rust will destroy them. And thieves can break into your house and steal them. Instead, save your treasures in heaven. Your heart will be where your treasure is. That is our time. That is our talent. Yes, that is our treasure. But understand, our hearts and treasure are not to be here. They are to be in heaven. Carrie Newhoff, who is a great writer in leadership and church matters, he said this, it's powerful. Let's prepare for a season of deep savings and what? Deep charity. How can we do even more in the midst of all of the uncertainty and instability and volatility with our opportunities that God, are placing, God is placing in front of us? Assessing and preparing positions us well for the tasks at hand. So here's what I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Email us right now. You can start right now. You can put it in the, uh, in the chat side. You can email us at office and go to Crossroads. I don't care how you get it to us. But email us with how to prepare. Ready? How to prepare with opportunities that we can employ to be the blessing that God would be pleased us being. You see, I believe that God can put it into your heart of this is things that we can do to engage our community. These are things that we can, be, we can do to be charitable even to the greatest extent possible. These are things that we can do, opportunities to reach our family and our communities. 
in the midst of all of the challenges. I believe that God is putting it in your heart, ideas of opportunity. So let us hear him. Let us hear him. So as we prepare, assess and prepare, we can be the blessing God wants us to be. Also, to start strong, stay steady and end well, we need to identify with the challenges and recruit partners. We need to identify challenges and recruit partners. You might recall the final message of 2020. I, I talked about that we needed to burn the 2020 talk. Okay, That was one of the ships you needed to burn. And that's true. I'm not going to go there. But there's something that came out of 2020. Well, it's a little bit cliched. It is absolutely the truth. Especially as we face what we face in any kind of rebuild. These are not things done in isolation. But here it is. We are in this together. It is absolutely critical to understand. It is not done in isolation. You don't rebuild in isolation. Do you think that Nehemiah ended up going to Jerusalem and just said, you know something, I'm just going to rebuild this thing myself. I'm not going to ask for anybody's help. This is what God said. He's going to help me do it. I don't know. No, no. If you look at Nehemiah's language in this portion, when he is telling now the leaders in Jerusalem and those who are with him what God had put in his heart to do, he uses words, we and us, not you and yours. He doesn't come in and say, hey, we got a big job and it's your fault and go build it, boys and girls. I'll be here to supervise. I'll hold a shovel and watch what you do. No. He says, I'm in this with you. We're going to do this together. Every person's role would be a little different, but we're in this together. And what is so amazing, he identifies with them, okay, he sees the challenges, but then what he does, he recruits partners, and here was their response. They replied, let us start rebuilding. He identified all kinds of challenges. He's already assessed needs. He's planned. He's prepared. But now he's, here's the challenges in front of us, and we're going to do this together. Because he said it this way, the challenge is that we're in trouble and disgrace. That's the challenge. He said, but we can do this because we are in this together. And honestly, when I think to the church, to Crossroads Church specifically, we're going to have challenges that we're going to face. We're going to face reopening challenges. I don't know what that looks like at this point. I don't know if we'll be open in weeks or months. I have no idea. But when that time comes, we have challenges that we have to face. We have online challenges. We don't, you know, I'm so grateful for Facebook and YouTube. I'm grateful that we have these platforms. And I trust that they'll always be available to us. But even in the midst of this, we have challenges to make sure that our technology is good. You say, why are these challenges? Trust me, they're challenges. If you work with technology at all, you know that technology is great when it works. (laughs) But when it's not, oh, goodness. That's a whole different story. We have connection challenges. And what I mean by that is by the, by the continual isolation that we have by not being able to be together and do the things that we had become so accustomed to do, doing, we have connection challenges. My desire is to stay connected with you and you connected to others. 
That's why if you're in a life group, you need to stay connected to your life group. If you're not in a life group, please email us and let us know, and we'll get you connected. We have missions challenges. Our missionaries have been, have been somewhat isolated through this, these months. And gratefully, we're re-engaging, and next week you'll get to meet a missionary right here online, and you're going to love the story that they're going to tell. But those are missions challenges. We have outreach challenges to continue to reach into our community, and that increases also the engagement challenges with our community. We want to do that. That's why I'm asking for, what are your ideas? How are the opportunities? What, what, what are opportunities that you're seeing? You see, these are all very real. And it is absolutely impossible for one person to overcome them, to do it. It's not possible. I can't just say, hey, Jason, make this happen. Hey, Martin, get this done. Corey, hey, Jacob, Janessa, hey, go get them. No, it's not how this works. It's all of us. We are in this together. Your partnership is vital, and it is deeply appreciated. Everything you do for Crossroads Church, is, it's for the church, but it's for the Lord. I'm so blessed and appreciative of all that you do. Philippians chapter 1, I love this. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all, your prayer, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Practically speaking, what does that partnership look like? Three things, real quick. Remain faithful. Remain faithful in your attendance. You say, well, Gary, I'm not even, I can't even come to, if you're online with us, with us this morning, blessings to you. Remain faithful with that because I can tell you, the temptation is, well, you know, it's just, a, it's just here, I can't, no, be faithful be faithful. God will bless it. God will bless this. Second thing is, in, in your attendance, but in your giving, thank you for your partnership in giving. Blessings to you and connecting. Make sure that you're connecting with those who are closest to you. Another way is to remain hopeful. Don't give up hope in the midst of all of this. Listen to Psalm 62, verse 5, and then 71, verse 14. Yes, my soul Find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. And then 71 verse 14, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. So remain faithful, remain hopeful, and then one more, remain prayerful. Prayerful. I cannot stress how important prayer is. Jason mentioned it a few moments ago. Join us on on my Facebook page every morning at 7.14 for prayer, but then Wednesday night at 7.14 on Crossroads Facebook page, for our 21 days of prayer and fasting, we're gathering together for about a half an hour to pray for needs, to just be challenged with prayer. So join us, join us. Remember, we are in this together. Also, to start strong and stay steady and well, we need to declare the power and provision of God. It's interesting Nehemiah does something very, very unique, I think, for a leader. I don't know if you've ever thought, you may not thought much about narcissism. Narcissism is an excessive self-love, vanity or admiration of one's own physical or mental attributes. And all of us, I think, deal with it to a degree. It, think of what Nehemiah is setting out to accomplish. 
the rebuild of the walls of Jerusalem, to fortify the city, end 140 years of disgrace, this will be an incredible achievement. And it's going to add significantly to Nehemiah's resume. Well, that was never his concern. A narcissist would say, this is all about the resume. And the other things, that's great. So we're going to lead to that. It's not Nehemiah. That wasn't his, that's not what he did. Rather, Nehemiah did something that I think is so powerful and dynamic. He said it this way, I also told him about the gracious hand of my God on me. He proposes all this and he says, this is God. God's doing this. God with favor has blessed us. You see, he has provided everything we need. The king's on our side. The keeper of the forest is going to give us all we need. I even had soldiers that protected me as we came. God is it, but it's all God. It's all God. It's all God. It's not Nehemiah. It's God. It's God. Understand, it is God's favor that has given him the opportunity, and it's the same for you and me. You see, it is God. It is, it is God who is to receive all of the glory for anything and everything that's done in any rebuild project, even in my own life, in your life, in your family, in your business, in, your, in, in relationships, and in the church. It is to the glory of God and to the glory of God alone. There's a man by the name of David Morgan. David Morgan was instrumental in the Welsh revivals. There were a number of, of revivals that happened in Wales in the 19th century and early 20th century, and David Morgan was part of that. And after one night of preaching, he was on his way to his residence, and he was being driven in a, in a horse and buggy. And it tells you kind of the, the time of the, um, the history of this. Anyway, his traveling companion said this question. He says, didn't we have a blessed meeting tonight? And David Morgan said, yes, yes, indeed, we did. And after a bit of a pause, here's what he said. He continued, he said, the Lord would give us great things if he could trust us. And his traveling companion said, I'm not, I'm not sure what, what you mean. And then Morgan added this. He says, if he could trust us not to seek the glory for ourselves. And then in the middle of the night, out in the middle of nowhere, this is what he exclaimed. Psalm 115 and verse number 1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Understand, to start strong, to stay steady and end well, we've got to declare, we've got to declare the power and the provision of God. It is not about our talent. It is not about our experience. It's not about us whatsoever. It is to the glory of God and the glory of God alone. We need to declare it. We need to declare the power and provision of God. And then finally, to start strong, stay steady, and end well, we need to endure the ongoing conflict and opposition. It's interesting to me that no matter when you, when you see the things that, things that God is doing, there's always going to be those that are going to oppose it. No different in this story. In fact, you're going to see it throughout the remainder of the book. Three guys. Here are their names, Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem. They just become thorns 
in the side of Nehemiah. They oppose everything that's said, everything that's done. They mock and they ridicule. They laugh. They plot. They connive. They are just, it's just awful to observe. And this is even the second time, as far as we're into the book, the second time these seeds of opposition begin to rise. And it just underscores the fact that anytime, anything that is done for God, there will be opposition. And how important in the middle of all this is endurance. Endurance in the face of conflict and opposition. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9 Paul said it this way, a great door of effective work is open for me, and there are many who oppose it. When we set out, when you set out to do something for the Lord, remember, just remember this, whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. So anything you do, when there's, op- there's going to be opposition when we are giving glory to God, no matter what it is. And there's really two reasons that, that, that help us. The first is this. Because we belong to Christ. That's the first one. Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of me. You would read later in John 15 and verse 20 that if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. That's what's going to happen. And that's because we belong to Christ. second reason is it because of our godly lives. Just because we live with a different worldview and a different set of values. There's going to come pushback, conflict, opposition. It's just going to happen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In every rebuild, there will be conflict and opposition. But we are to endure, endure. William Barclay was a great writer, pastor. I have commentaries by Mr. Barclay. So what he wrote, he says, Endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. I love that. But to turn it into glory. It's not just to endure a hard thing. To bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. God is going to use it greatly. We are called to endure. And when we do, when we do, great things will emerge. To start strong, stay steady, and end well, endure the ongoing conflict and opposition. So when you think about this story as it is unfolding, Nehemiah Nehemiah started strong, steadied himself. He remained steady, and he ended well. And we're going to see how he ended, but I want to just give you a little glimpse. Nehemiah 6, verse 15. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days. Just 52 days after we had begun. And then the last verse in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, verse 31. Remember this in my favor. Oh my God. I want to tell you something. Nehemiah, he started strong. He stayed steady. And he ended well. And that's the challenge to each one of us this morning. Start strong, but there's got to be more. Stay steady, 
And when we do, when we start strong, stay steady, something's going to happen. We're going to end well. We're going to end well. And that's my prayer for you in every rebuild that you may be a part of today and even for us as a church. We need to start strong, stay steady, and I believe that God will help us to end well. Father, thank you for your word this morning.